Welcome, I'm Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast. This podcast is created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Penderecki in Memoriam podcast unveils a multifaceted portrait of Krzysztof Penderecki with commentary from musicians, colleagues, radio programmers, and writers who lend insight and memories of Poland's greatest modern composer. This podcast is part of Penderecki in Memoriam Worldwide Project, honoring the life and legacy of the great composer. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Now in his second season as music director of the San Diego Symphony, Rafael Payare has recently been named as the next music director of the Montreal Symphony. Born in 1980, the conductor's profound musicianship, technical brilliance, and charismatic presence on the podium has made him one of today's most sought-after orchestra leaders. Before coming to San Diego, Maestro Payare led Ireland's Ulster Orchestra, and has conducted all of the major orchestras in Venezuela. As principal horn of the Simone Bolivar Orchestra, Payare took part in many prestigious tours and recordings with the group, led by esteemed conductors such as Giuseppe Sinopoli, Claudio Abado, Sir Simon Rattle, and Lauren Mizell. He also happens to be married to the great cellist, Elisa Weilerstein. Payari first met Krzysztof Penderecki at the 2012 Malko International Conducting Competition, where he was awarded first prize, and since that point has been a great champion of the composer's work. Maestro Payari is here with us to talk about Poland's greatest contemporary composer, Krzysztof Penderecki. Hi, Raphael. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for the invitation. You first met Krzysztof Penderecki, as I just alluded to, at the 2012 Malko International Conducting Competition, where you were awarded first prize. What were your first impressions of the man? Well, it is funny because at the 2012 meeting, that's how it started to be a little bit more personal, let's say, our encounter, because I met him for the first time in Venezuela. He used to go there every year, and I remember that he went to conduct his Seven Gate of Jerusalem symphony.
he rehearsed with us and it was a far away encounter but it was my first encounter with his music and that it really captured me and it was wonderful and then when I saw him in Copenhagen on 2012 it was great because he came for the fourth round he had the commission piece the Natura Sonore number three, that it was especially made for the competition. And they sent the score a month before the competition was supposed to start. I was in Venezuela during that time, and the mail is, let's say, not too reliable. So the score actually arrived instead of a month before of when the competition was supposed to start, it arrived 15 days before. And I remember looking into the score and trying to see it. And I remember talking to now my wife. And during that time, my girlfriend, the score doesn't want to speak to me. There are so many things happening here. And I don't understand what's going on. By the third day, everything started making sense. And I could put something in my head how it was going to sound. And it was a completely new piece. So there's nothing. There's no recording. There's nothing. You just have to put everything on your head. It, it was very beautiful because I happened to pass the different rounds. And his music was on the fourth round. And I give the room with the orchestra. And then we met in the hallway. And I remember Esvieta was there and Maestro was there. And they were like, you were my first home when I came to Venezuela. And I said, like, yes, that's true, Maestro. And it's like, you make the line of the music you could play from beginning to the end. So thank you very much for that. that beautiful bond that I have with his way of thinking. It was just great. And I remember him. He's such a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And I remember him getting into the podium in Venezuela back in, let's say, 2002, when we went, we used to be a Simon Bolivar Youth Orchestra. So it was, you know, a little bit more undisciplined. I remember him getting red faced because we were making too much noise, telling us what to do or somebody make a wrong note, you know, one sharp and I wasn't there. He could really hear it's like, that wasn't what I wrote. It's just, it's fantastic. It's, uh, I miss him dearly. And then after that initial meeting, you were invited to the Beethoven Festival in Warsaw for both 2012 and 2013 and you took part in both the 80th and 85th birthday celebrations. As you mentioned, the invitation to go for the Beethoven Festival, it was great, beautiful journey. I was going to premiere his King Ubu opera, but by scheduling things, it couldn't happen. But then I got invited to his 80th anniversary and then 85th. And this is where it comes, let's say, a crazy circle of how things interconnected because at the Malco competition in 2012, the chairman of the jury, it was Maestro Lorin Mazel. After I won the competition, I just started having a wonderful relationship with Maestro Mazel. And I got invited to be part of Maestro Penderecki's 80th birthday. During the festival, he conducted the fourth symphony of Maestro Penderecki. I conducted the Natura Sonori, that it was the piece that was part of the Malco competition. And in the Beethoven, I conduct his double concerto for violin and viola. I remember being mesmerized by his fourth symphony. I saw Maestro Marcel rehearse and conducted in the concert. But that was the last time I saw Marcel alive. That was in November of 2013, and Marcel passed away in July. So I came back to Marcel's festival and then became principal conductor. And then I started this beautiful relationship with Sinfonietta Cracovia, which was an orchestra that Maestro founded.
When we came for his 85th anniversary, I actually wanted to conduct the fourth symphony as an homage to myself and get this wonderful connection with Maestro Penderecki's music. And Marcel passed in a way. And this is when it gets even crazier. Because then we did the Penderecki Festival in Krakow in September 2019. And I conducted again the fourth symphony. But Maestro was part of that concert. And he conducted the adagio from his third symphony. And that was the last time I saw him alive. I cannot say what that means, but it's just the way it happened. Now, I wanted to touch on the symphony number four and the adagio from Penderecki's third symphony. Let's move to symphony number four. You've conducted this piece a few times. The last time, I believe, you've mentioned being in 2019. Yeah, it was the Penderecki Festival in Krakow in September. It was with Sinfonietta Cracovia that we expand the orchestra because, of course, for the symphony number four, we have a couple of external trumpets and we have a quite large uh, percussion section. Even though the name is Adagio, the sentiment on it, it doesn't have to do with tempo-wise, but it's just a kind of a feeling, and it has the fugue. Thank you. 
crazy. It's one of those things that for conductors like, you want to go and see it. It's like, oh my God, you have to try to put this together and you're going to have the violas that the no one is in the first beat and then you will have the percussion doing a chromatic scale going up before getting many tempo changes. So it's very, very challenging, but it's so organic and fantastic that I just love it. I remember being mesmerized by it when I heard Marcel rehearsing it and I was looking at the score. It's like, oh my God, this is like the right of spring. This is something that you really need to look and work and try to figure out what's the best way. But then when you get his language, the way that he put it, it is hard. So you could feel the orchestra try to have that fugue in, in the middle section of the symphony to put it together. But at the same time, it's an organic way of doing so it has all of these different elements. You have the long melancholy in the cello and in the viola and the violin, and then you have the trumpets going from the outside part trying to get into the clash of almost two worlds. It's just a fantastic thing. Everything happens in this world. Everything happens in, what, 30 minutes, 35 minutes? It's fantastic. Thank you.
written in 1989, a commission of the French Secretariat of State, and interestingly, it was finished before Symphony Number no. 3, and of course, a lot of people regard Symphony Number no. 3 as being a high point in Penderecki's work, at least up until that time. Symphony Number no. 4 sometimes is labeled as problematic. Have you ever heard that, and do you know what that refers to? I do, but... I disagree. You know, it's like when sometimes people say that Schumann is problematic. It's about how do you make the approach to it? Because it's one full movement that you do not have any kind of separation to it. Maybe some people might think that that would make a sense of a problematic way, but I don't think so. I think the line is pretty clear from the first measure of the first bar until the last one. everything comes together, it just takes you immediately. You don't even need to know the context, and it wraps you and takes you to his world and his language. So I would totally disagree with people that said that problematic piece. The part inside with the fugue that I'm talking about, that is a problem, but not because it's badly written. It's just because to perform it, if you do not rehearse properly or you don't get the right sense, then it becomes an anxiety episode. But I think it works just wonderful. It makes me laugh to think a little bit because after we did the performance, it comes like it's like you did the fugue quite, no, you didn't do it slowly. And Maestro, I don't think you meant it. It was like, I know, but everybody normally makes it slow so everybody could play together. But when you have this tempo, everything fits. It's like, that's what I thought that you liked, Maestro. And he just laughed and said, like, you did get it and just walk away, it's wonderful. The symphony is titled Adagio, and of course Adagio means literally a slowly performed activity which takes place without haste. 
that would lead one to think that it's very orderly and it has these very well organized themes in the beginning and the end the majestic early theme and the reflective final theme yeah also was commemorated for the french revolution so i think there was a tons of different messages that he was trying to portray and it is for us musicians artists and listeners to discover what he actually meant because what you see in the paper is not literal there's always something behind and much more Let's finish with the Adagio from Symphony No. 3. The symphony overall was commissioned and completed for the 100-year celebration of the Munich Philharmonic, and it's in five movements, and really exhibits a number of stylistic features which exemplify Penderecki's music of the 1980s. The Adagio runs about 13 minutes, generally this long, expansive, unfolding melodic piece with the solo winds and brass instruments over the string ensemble. How would you characterize that movement within the entire symphony? The symphony number three is fantastic. And if you put that you as he wrote it for the symphony, it doesn't work on its own alone because it's part of a bigger kind of arch. And then, of course, you go into the next movement. The episodes are just phenomenal and the orchestration and all of the things that he was doing, it was just great. But it was amazing that he actually took that out from it and then make the adagio only for strings. But still, the lines are there and the melody and the melancholy of it exist there. But when we get the approach to it, I do know what are the instruments that he uses, the piccolo, and then he uses the xylophone in here and the horn in here and there that if he uses with the violas, that is what he used for the string version. Then you have the horn or the cello in here, you have the bassoon and you have a piccolo going or a flute and then you have the violin. But he somehow thought that it could be put as a jewel on its own, and it totally is when you make it for a string orchestra because you could still try to achieve those different colors without adding any kind because he doesn't even use too much of uh, different effects. It's everything is within the range. You know, he's not trying to use like two ponticello or trying to hit with the baguette different things. No, no, it's all within the string sound, but it's wonderful, wonderful line that you get into that ending and then it passes along. So it could stand on its own or if you use the other instrument that you know that it's not finished and it goes to something else. And to do that is just remarkable because he didn't change one single note. And you could have it, if you play it with the instrument, you know that there's something that needs to go to a different place. And this, when you do it only with the string, it, it, it stays as a pin on its own. That's just genius. You can do that. That adagio, it could stand on its own and it's fine on itself. And if you add the full orchestra to it, you know that this is not the end and it's going to the next one. Fantastic. Yeah, pure genius. This was the last piece you saw Maestro Pendereski conduct and was the last time that you saw him in person. Yeah, that's correct. I have no idea that that was going to be the last time that I was going to see him. I remember he was coming from Frankfurt. He was in Krakow and he opened the concert with uh, Adagio from his Symphony Number no. 3. And then I kept going with the concert playing his Symphony Number no. 4. 
I remember seeing him rehearse just before the concert because he was coming from Germany. And I think just before the rehearsal, we're talking, it seemed that my face was a little bit tired. But the moment that he got into the podium, he just looked like he was 70 years younger. He was completely reinvigorated. And he was a very beautiful and moving performance. When I learned of his passing, I was here in San Diego. We live in Berlin, but we came to San Diego on March the 13th before the first restriction and banning for COVID. And then I found out later that Maestro passed. I couldn't come back to Europe until September. And they were organizing a couple of slightly festivals in his name. And together with Judith Dival, we did this pack. I came to Germany from the state. I took COVID tests. I did the whole thing and went to Poland and rehearsed and we did a concert that it was conducted by John Axelrod. But as a little token for Elisbieta, it was a surprise. She had no idea. And when the concert ended, then it was like, well, Elisbieta, we have a little surprise for you. And I came out and I got out the adagio that I saw him for our homage to her. And it was very moving. Like, it was only some very close friends and family. And we did that concert and there maybe 20 persons were in there. So it means a lot. That was why I, when we were programming drink pieces for the San Diego Symphony, I always put Maestro Music in there, but I thought it was only right to bring him an homage. And I was going to be a year from his passing. And I wanted to have a little reflection and a little bit pay homage to playing his music. Maestro Rafael Payare, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss the great Polish composer Krzysztof Penderecki. Thank you, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. This is Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki In Memoriam podcast, created by Anna Pejanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute New York. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Shah EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Make sure to subscribe.